What do you call a magic dog? A labracadabrador. This is Across the Table, the podcast of Hannibal the Magician. Hello everyone, welcome back. If this is your first time listening to the Hannibal Podcast, I'm glad you're here. This is episode 36 of an ongoing experiment called Across the Table. I am Hannibal the Magician. I work now, work and live out of Los Angeles, California, and can mostly be found haunting the Magic Castle. Hey, everybody who knows me knows these things already. Hi, welcome. It is currently late on Sunday evening, and I've had a whirlwind of a weekend. Um, traveled to, uh, to <laughs> as my brain is mush, to Missouri. Flew into Springfield, traveled through Ozark, the setting of the current uh, Netflix original Ozark, and it's uh, pretty accurate. And uh, on to Brans- Brans- <sighs> Branson. You're going to have to forgive me. It is very late. I apologize for the... Uh, but hey, it's a podcast. I can be real, right? Branson, Missouri. The uh, the hotel overlooking the, the lake there had a, had a show. and uh, It was very, very fulfilling. It, it uh, brought me back to reality in a lot of ways. Um, I tried uh, new material as well as some of the tried and true effects. And, and I really tried to connect a bit deeper than I normally do, and it paid off very, very well, both for me and for the audience, I believe. So business is good. Uh, the The performing part of it is uh, is absolutely stellar. I'm very pleased with the direction the art is going in. Kind of have a heart to talk about something that, until tonight, I didn't really quite grasp exactly how much um, <clears throat> a piece of pop culture has uh, has affected me for my entire life. I uh, I flew in this afternoon, flew back to L.A. this afternoon, got up early this morning, took an absolute hell flight. It's probably one of the worst I've ever been on um, through United, who, give them giving them credit, they did the best they possibly could, but it was a completely full flight, and they overstuffed the overhead bins, and so my little carry-on had to be under the seat at my feet, and it was just cramped for four hours coming from Springfield back to L.A., and it was just no picnic. But I made it back, I took a little nap, and I went to a cinematic event. The Sound of Music was my mother's second favorite movie of all time. Her absolute favorite, and I think I've talked about this here before, uh, and if I haven't, I'll go back and look. If I haven't, I really want to spend some time going through an in-depth analysis of this movie. Her favorite movie was Dr. Zhivago. A uh, big part of that was Omar Sharif. Uh, my mom had a type. She, uh, she, she liked his acting. She liked his looks. She liked everything about Dr. Zhivago. <clears throat> and it was, a, it was a tremendous hit in its time. Uh, it, hasn't, it hasn't had the legs or the visibility that uh, Sound of Music did, but there's, there's several different reasons for that. And maybe we'll go into that in depth some other time. Um, remind me, bring it up, uh, and I will. Uh, I'll give you my point of view on that because I think 
in my opinion, and she's right, I think that Dr. Zhivago is a slightly superior movie, but you can't take anything away from The Sound of Music. The whimsical, the, the, the music, the, the lyrics, I mean, it is, it is a solid, solid, solid piece of art. And <clears throat> for good or for bad, and, and, and in different periods of her life that I've observed, she's taken it both ways, it cemented Julie Andrews' uh, nice girl character, the, the you-just-can't-dislike-this-person, she's pure as the driven snow, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and she, you know, she lived her career, has lived her career with that, still, you know, still under that, uh, under that umbrella, which isn't a bad thing, but, you know, to get typecast that young as, as a certain type of, of person doesn't, it doesn't help trying to play your range or trying to play different things. And, uh, a lot of people in this industry, once they, they figured out this is who you are, you are, you are, uh, pigeonholed into that. You're put on the bookshelf in that particular order, and that's a shame, especially for some great actors who do have a depth of range and a depth of character and can pull other things out. So it turns out that uh, the, uh, the the movie itself was playing tonight at a local theater in its original widescreen, up-on-the-big-screen glory, and I just couldn't pass up the opportunity I uh, I asked someone out to go with me, and uh, unfortunately, due to circumstances, they were unable to go. Um, it's someone I, I, I thought they might like it as well, and I, at the time, I felt like sharing it uh, with somebody special. But uh, when that wasn't able to work out, I decided my best bet would be to go by myself, and, and here's why. Everything about that movie reminds me of my mother, absolutely everything, and coincidentally... Um, this was uh, this was when she was killed. This is the time of year she was murdered, 26 years ago. Skipping past that, because I could do a whole episode on my mother's murder, and um, while I have forgiven um, the man who killed her, he, uh, he never stood trial, he never got accused, he uh, never saw a day in jail, and still walks free. Uh, well, you remind me. We'll talk about it. <laughs> I really want to focus on the positive aspects of things right now. Um, one of my earliest memories as as a little boy, and I honestly could not have been more than four or five, we had the Sound of Music album. Um, and we had a stereo that was... I mean, when, when I say I was four or five years old, we're still talking late 60s here. And so our record player was the size of a, uh, like a, like a low-flat bookcase. It was about three feet high uh, and about five feet wide, stood up on little legs and had speakers built into it. It was a dark, uh, a dark wood, and there was a, a hatch on the top that opened up, and there was a... a turntable on springs and put your album there and it would play through the uh i mean this thing was the size of a desk let's just say that oh that's a better comparison about the size of a desk and it sat off on one uh wall of our home and my mother played that particular soundtrack over and over again my mother loved to sing and she did it very well and there wasn't a song on there that she did not like so it, it played all the way through one side, she would bounce in from the other room and flip it over and play the other side and sing along as well. 
And I remember her wearing a green sundress and just dancing uh, all through the house while she was cleaning or while she was doing something else or just playing with me. She taught me how to, uh, to initially how to waltz because I wanted to dance like the, like the people on the screen, you know. And um, <clears throat> she used that soundtrack to do it. So I associate all the music in that with my mother singing it and performing it in her own way and, and, and everything else. And uh, if I'm doing the math and I was four or five years old, that would have made my mother <clears throat> 26, 27. So still quite young and, and quite vibrant and still full of all kinds of life. And, 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 and like I said, she had a great voice. And this is not just me remembering because she was my mom, you know, having a great voice. But she sung in the church choir and uh, she did a few things. They, she was taken to, you know, regional church events, and she sang for them. She had a, and she was she had a record um, of her own that she was someone produced with her. She was part of an ensemble, you know. That, but she had a few solos and things, and and she just she loved to sing. Conversely, she didn't much like performing. Um. The, the only time I ever saw her really perform in front of people was at church. She would put on the, the robes and she would do, that was her venue. And later on when she got married and became the pastor's wife, uh, every Sunday she'd have her, you know, she'd have her solo. She'd have her one song and she would stand up in front of the 50, 60 people that attended our church and, uh, of course, they loved her for, for, for the things she was singing and the way she sang them. And that was her bid into showbiz. You know, that's as far as she, as far as I know, as far as she ever wanted to take it. But she found a real joy in, uh, in just doing what she did. She wasn't doing it for money and she wasn't doing it for fame and she wasn't doing it for any kind of recognition. She just liked to sing. And so she found a way to do it, and, and she found places to do it that where she could be listened to. But even if she hadn't found those places, she danced, man. She was, she was up on her toes, and she was running the vacuum and singing at the top of her lungs and, and just, just having so much joy, just doing the creative things that she loved to do. And I guess that's what I'm really trying to impress. If I'm trying to impress anything on you here, it's simply finding the joy in the thing that she did well. And so this evening, I went to see The Sound of Music, and I was not ready. There were, I'm going to say, a grand total of maybe 12 or 15 people in the auditorium, which is a shame. It is, if, if nothing else, it's a beautiful piece of storytelling. It is the standard hero leaves home, goes off, has adventures, uh, rescues someone from a dire predicament, uh, goes off on their own to meditate about, about the, what they've done and comes back and, and is again triumphant over a new set of circumstances. It's a classic story. But it was so beautifully done and, and the songs were so wonderfully written and so ingrained now in our, uh, in our pop culture and, and, and who we are as a people. And it also, I, I, had, I guess I had just forgotten how subtly they mixed politics into it. And, and the idea of Austria being taken over by Germany in the 30s 
And this one guy, this this captain, the guy played by Christopher Plummer, uh, the, the the father, uh, the von, uh, Georg von Trapp, Captain von Trapp, um, resisting, refusing. Okay, let me tell you a scene that really got to me. This 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 just I'm going to call out a little bit because I have always considered myself as a fairly conservative viewpoint. In my later years, I'm starting to see that that has relaxed a little bit or moved a little bit more towards center. But I have some fairly right-leaning points of view on things, and I'm probably wrong about that, but that's how I considered myself. The scene is three-quarters of the way through the movie, and the guy we see is the bad guy, and off the top of my head right now, I cannot pull his name out of my brain. But he's the German sympathizer, the Nazi sympathizer. From almost the very beginning of the movie, we knew this guy was going to be, you know, uh, siding with the Nazis and siding with the uh, with the bad, the the largely unseen bad guys. Um, the captain and Maria are away on their honeymoon. Spoiler, uh, are away on their honeymoon, and dude drops by to find out why. Captain Von Trapp is not flying uh, the flag of the Third Reich, which is a big red flag with a big black swastika in the middle of a white circle in the very center of it. And finding no one at home, he takes the liberty himself of swapping the flags, takes down the Austrian flag from the Von Trapp house and puts up uh, the swastika. And it's... His thing was, you want to make sure that you honor this flag. This is what we stand for now. And whether you like it or not, you should stand for this flag. A piece of cloth. Uh, but, but behind that piece of cloth, an, an, an idea. And the idea, if we're pulling it right back around to politics today, is that we as a free country have the, the, the right to not worship it, to not hold it up as an idol, to say, you know what? I have this thing I want to protest. This is how I'm doing it peacefully. And you get your attention. And, and, and yes, you have, you, of course, you fully have the right to protest the protest if you want. But you can't call those people un-American because that's simply a lie. Am I off my soapbox yet? Okay, moving on. Assuming I, I lost a few of you. Um, the rest of you, thanks for, for sticking with me for a minute. But <clears throat> Von Trapp comes home and sees this flag, and his very first act before he even walks into his house is to rip the flag down and tear it to pieces. It, and it is, he's, he's displayed stoic, you know, quiet, burning anger throughout the film, or, or you know, certain, a certain kind of a, you know. Uh, but this, he's angry. He's, he's pissed off. And he pulls the thing down and tears it apart, and it's like, in that day and age, they could kill you for that. It's not quite there yet, right? Here, where we are, where we live. But that film, in its time, 1965, when it came out, it's a very subtle poke in the eye about the politics that were evolving even then. And the way we look at patriotism and the way we look at you know, our own moral compass and our own moral values and how we see things. 
very subtle in the undertones of that. And I really, that's about as far as I'm going to dig into that right now. If you want to hear more, ask me. Send me a note. Tell me this is the, what you want to hear. Um, uh, this is a, a very sharing thing. It's not exactly a dialogue, but I do listen to what you have to say, and I will address it uh, if you ask a question. The other One of the other scenes that really... Uh, moved me, or that I, I guess I just misremembered from a kid, there's uh, the scene where Rolf and Liesel meet at the gazebo in the backyard, and they flirt, and they make out a little tiny bit, and they sing to each other. Um, and I, from my memory, I just remember Rolf being in uniform, and, you know, being this um, power figure, and, and, you know, he... He sweeps her off her feet, and they dance together in the gazebo, and the man has wooed his woman. But if you look at the film, if you actually look at that scene, it is Liesel who's in complete control the entire time. And the actress who plays her, you can see it in her face. She has decided this is exactly how it's going to look. Rolf is, is a bit of a, he's a bit of a pushover. He comes in and he, he tries the macho, you know, chest-puffing kind of a thing, I'll take care of you, you know, in the in the in the song. But it is Liesel who is guiding everything. She's the one that, you know, gets them to start dancing and and makes him put up a knee so he, she can stand up and walk across, you know. She is <laughs> very subtly manipulating this boy that she likes into uh, into liking her back. And I was fascinated by that. Rolf is, is, is fairly clueless when he walks into the scene. He's just, oh, I like this girl, and I like spending time with her, and isn't this neat? And here we are, and, you know, I, I, uh, I met her in her backyard. And, but if you really watch the scene, he's the innocent. He's the one that pulls back from the kiss, and he's the one that, that avoids uh, contact until she just absolutely makes it happen. And how cool is that? I, I'm sorry, I, I just that that tripped me out a little bit. I, that made me very happy. So, um, yeah, uh, there there are. I mean, there there are some lines in there, and there are some moments, of course, that don't uh, that haven't worn well into uh, into modern day. But those are very few and very very far between. Um, where was I going with all of this? Oh, I mean, so so there the 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 soundtrack played all the time when I was a kid, when I was a boy. Um, a couple of times a week in coming home from school, I could count on that playing, depending on the time of year. Uh, we would watch it when it would come on TV, and, and Mom would, would sing along and clap her hands and try to get my dad involved. And uh, Yeah. So those, those songs always take me back to a certain point. Now, when I became a magician... Uh, a lot of my time, um, not in the old, old fallback time, but uh, a few years in, let's call it late 90s, I was working a lot of country clubs, especially around the Charlotte area. I had a reputation, and one club would recommend me to another one, and I would do their family dinners, and and uh, and then they, they realized that it was better that they evolve it to just grown-ups, uh, make it a little more sophisticated, because the kids weren't getting my sense of humor. Thank God. Um, so I'm at a, uh, I was at a country club doing a show. Um, and I have this effect to where I borrow 
rings from people, finger rings from people in the audience, and I link them together into a chain. It's a, it's a magic trick. You may have seen me do it. I'm thinking now of bringing it back to tell you the truth. Um, so it involves borrowing rings from the audience, and I would try to, because of who I am, I would try to get the, to engage them to tell me a story uh, about the ring they were loaning me. And I got, you know, it's my wedding band, and it belonged, or, or it belonged to my grandmother, or there was always some something. People, especially in those days, were very, very personal about the jewelry they would wear out, and, you know, where they got it, and what it meant to them, and, and all of these things. So a gentleman puts his hand up and says, I have a ring, and I go back, and I ask him his name, and his name is Daniel, and he hands me a big silver ring. And so I take a look at it to, you know, what's interesting about it? What can I pull out of this thing? The ring he hands me is a big hunk of silver, and it is a, a, an eagle with its wings spread, and it is sitting on top of a swastika. So dude just handed me a swastika ring. And my first reaction was revulsion. It was, it, I wanted to drop it. I wanted to say something. I wanted to, but I'm in the middle of a show. And it wasn't appropriate, you know, to do something like that. So in my head, I'm like, ask him what the story is. There's, there's maybe, who knows what it is. Let's, let's hear the story. So I asked him, I said, tell me, is there a story behind this ring? And that guy goes, yeah, it's mine. And I said, okay. Uh, you have a swastika ring. You've handed me a ring with an eagle and a swastika. He says, yes, I was, uh, I was a Nazi soldier. And I'm looking at him and I'm going, you know, you're not, you're not old enough to have been a Nazi soldier in the forties. And as I was staring at him, he's like, oh, I was in the sound of music. I played Ralph. Uh, and it was uh, Daniel, hold on, I actually wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it, and then probably forgot it. Daniel Truhit, uh, the guy who played Rolf, the, uh, the uh, German patriot uh, in The Sound of Music, who dances with Liesel. And one of the props he got to keep from the movie was this swastika ring, and he wears it around, which I don't think is the greatest idea in the world, but I'm not, you know, I'm not here to tell him what to do. And I and I did the, the did the trick and I linked the rings together and I gave him his ring back and we corresponded for a little while but he he's had a singing career he was doing weddings and and events and and singing as you know selling himself as uh, the guy who played Rolf and he lives in Monroe North Carolina which is a suburb of Charlotte go figure um, so like I said it's been it's been following me around this movie for my entire life um, nearly three hours long. And it went by very quickly. And it went by very emotionally. On a whole lot of different levels. The, the, the main storyline is the redemption or, or the finding of the road of Maria. Maria finds... She, at the beginning of the movie, she's lost. She likes to go dancing in the mountains... She likes to sing at the top of her lungs, up where nobody else can hear her. She initially spotted, um, as a little girl, she spotted the nurses, or the nurses, I'm sorry. She spotted the nuns taking care of their garden, and it inspired her. She's like, they look so happy, I should be a nun. And so she went and tried to join the convent. Um, and, and at the beginning of the film, we, we see her as being very lost, 
and not really not really getting into the part not really getting into the role that she had signed up for she just wasn't a um she wasn't designed she wasn't meant to be a nun you know and uh yeah that's that's really kind of where I wanted to take that. She's, she, she didn't know what she wanted to do, so she is given a direction by the Mother Superior, who sends her off to be a governess. Uh, I know most of you have seen this, or at least know halfway know the story, to the captain who was uh, part of the Navy at one point and his seven children. And music has not been allowed in the house uh, since his wife died. And she comes, and he quite literally says, you brought music back into my house and they fall in love and it's complicated and etc. Um, one of the things I found interesting about it, cause I was really paying attention this time watching it. You just can't miss it. Um, watching it on the big screen, you get so much more out of it than I even anticipated. Um, it takes place in Salzburg, uh, in Austria. Um, and what's what's interesting and cool about that because this is it's a it's a polished up and made nice and made pretty uh, true story. It's it's mostly true. There are big fat true elements in it, um, but of course it's made fanciful and it's made into a musical and it's made you know it's a movie. You made it into a movie. Um, the Von Trapp family singers came from Salzburg, but so did Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. So it's got that this one little hamlet, this, this one little tiny uh, place uh, tucked away over on the side in Austria, on the, on the border of Switzerland, in the mountains, uh, somehow a big pocket of music uh, just came out of that particular, that particular place, that little geographical uh, crossroads. I found that fascinating. Um, so he's the, the, I wrote, I took notes you know, surreptitiously uh, about what I was watching and, and the plot lines and the things that I saw happening um, or, or the, the way the story was unfolding to me because this is going to make it into my act somehow, uh, whether it's structure or whether it's uh, a slightly different way of telling a story or something. But the the main points, the big things that stood out to me is are these things. First of all, uh, family. It, it is it is 110,000% a family film and about family values and about family ethics and family morals. Very beginning, there's a huge emotional dis- distance discord between the captain and his kids. He, he treats them like they are sailors on his vessel. He blows a whistle and they each have their own code about uh, when they hear the whistle blown this way, this person is to come running. And, and there's no love at all. They line up for him like, like things, like objects, things that he owns. These are my children. They belong to me. Very, very, very much that attitude. And if I might digress in, uh, in that little thought, man, haven't I seen that happening a lot lately among uh, people that I don't know, people that I run into in public, friends that treat their significant others as as property, that treat their children as knickknacks they might keep up on a shelf, and aren't they proud of of how they look and how they, you know, not 
rather than than loving them just as who they are, um, they're being they're being valued as property. And man, that's starting to crawl all over me when when I see that happening. The he goes away. He goes off to to hang out with this woman that he uh, that he likes, another a rich woman that lives somewhere far away. So he's often gone for long periods of time and leaves the kids with a governess, which is Julie Andrews' job, Maria's job. Hmm. He gets his heart moved. He, he's standing outside and he hears, he's arguing with, with Maria. He's, she's, he just caught them out playing, which was forbidden. And he realized that the clothes she had made were from the draperies upstairs. And if you haven't seen this movie, you should stop listening because I'm spoiling the whole thing. I'm not spoiling the whole thing. Uh, you really need to see it as far as the richness of the story goes and, and, and the superb acting of so many people in it. And the story itself, just the, just the event, the experience. I'm getting back on track now. He, his heart goes out because he hears his children singing for the very first time, probably. And he walks in and he watches them sing and he starts singing along with them. And, and the music... He says to her, "You brought music back into my house. It it pulls them together. Let me let me let me break it down even more because why why it moved me so heavily. The art brought them together. In my experience, in my doing what I do, my art, my dedication to it, my loyalty to my art, in a good big honking way, tore my family apart instead of brought bringing us together." And don't I wrestle with that every single day? You can, you can see it, it because it, it is a movie and things have to move along at a clip. But they 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 do slowly move the dynamics together and make them. You see their struggles. You see their faults. You see little things, little interactions between the kids and 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 the, and the father and then the way they all finally come and gel back together. It is a fascinating study of of family dynamics, especially a large family. Seven kids, are you kidding me? And art brings them together. Love brings them together. Music brings them together. The next thing was uh, patriotism. The captain's affection for his home, for Austria, is... Relevant. I mean, it is. It, he wears it like a badge. When the Germans invade, he, like I said before, his is the only house that doesn't have the Nazi flag hanging outside of it, and he tears it down. And the the it, it recurs a couple of times in the film. He sings a song called Edelweiss, which is the the national flower of Austria. And the the look that Christopher Plummer puts into this face and into the longing and the love that he has for his actual country, his undying patriotism towards the beauty that is Austria, is all over this guy. And because of the invasion, and it was, we'll put quotes around this, a peaceful invasion by Germany taking over Austria, he... He is deeply troubled by the things he feels powerless, not only to stand up against, but he's going to be, in fact, in the movie, he is recruited 
to come and work for the the Navy, for the you know the Nazi Navy. Um, and that's when everything breaks for him that he I can't do this. You know, I'm, this is what I was trained to do. This is who I was made to be. This has been my whole life as being military, but I cannot get behind this particular uh, set of ideals, this ideology. I can't do it, and I won't do it. And he puts his entire his entire family's life on the line to escape, to walk away, to run away. Uh, the guy who plays Max, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Here it is. Okay. Um, when he sees these things are happening, when he sees the annexation is taking over, and he sees how bad the captain is, he says, "What's going to happen is just going to happen." Just make sure it doesn't happen to you. Do you see what's going on in the world today? I've said this countless times over and over and over again. You can pick sides. You can argue your point. You can stand up and fight fruitlessly over the internet about what you believe and what is true. You can look at the trouble that we're in. You can look at the leadership we have that is less than stellar. I'm, I'm going to be kind about this because kind is, is, is where I'm going to err, if I'm going to err. What's going to happen is going to happen. Just make sure it doesn't happen to you. I've said you can take up arms and you can stomp your feet and say this is the way it has to be. And you can threaten and you can bully and you can make sure that your voice is heard or you can love. And through love, and through the power of love, and through kindness, you can effect a better, more permanent, more resonating change than you can rattling your saber. So that effect, he takes, basically he takes his power and his expertise away from the Nazis and, and leaves, leaves leaves his homeland. He risks his entire life. He risks the lives of his children and his new wife. And he leaves. And there's no... there's no. The, uh, the end of the film is ambiguous. We see them crossing the mountains towards Switzerland. And I guess they assume we know the history and we know what happened to the Van, Tra- the Van Traps. The Von Traps. Uh, after escaping... The, the movie just assumes we know that or doesn't care. They escaped. They came together as a family. And when they saw what was going on with their, with their homeland, they escaped. They took off. They left. Um, patriotism towards what you actually believe in, what you actually stand for, more so than a piece of cloth or an ideology that you will stand up for simply because the guy wears the colors that you used to believe in. I'm trying to be clear without being ambiguous myself, and also without getting angry, without getting, without pointing fingers and saying this and that, because I do value even the misguided hearts of the people I consider my friends, or people that could be friends. Look at it in reality. Look how it's going to go towards the end of itself and where what, what's happening with it. But stay true to yourself. 
Stay true to your actual values. Stay true to what you believe in, who you love, where you're going to put your kindness, and who you're hurting with with your actions and your words. Sound of music. Um, Maria is, of course, the hero. She, she displays her bravado and her braveness. And she overcomes, at the very beginning, she's, she's afraid of things. She's afraid of where she's going. She's afraid of what she's going to have to do. And she overcomes that fear by singing about confidence. And you can read it all over her body language. She doesn't fully believe everything she's saying. But what makes her so brave and what displays her courage so much is that is she is scared as hell. But she does the thing anyway. She does the thing anyway. I've got to do this. I don't have a choice in it. This is where... You know, movie message, this is where God is putting my feet. I'm going to walk this path, even though I'm terrified. And it's going to be hard. And she she has fear, but she walks through it. And she grasps her courage, you know, and, and, and makes it happen. And it is through her braveness, through her courage, that everything else happens and falls in line. Because she did not get off of her path. She, she had faith in her own road and, and faith in her own self and her abilities and what she was going to do. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of hope in the movie. There's a lot of strength and faith and love will get you through things. And God, I needed that. When I say they don't make them like this anymore, they don't make them like this anymore. I'm all for good crafted stories that are based on reality and this is the way things are and this is how tough life is. But it's good also to have the blissful happy ending. Even if it's not reality, even if the happy ending doesn't come along as often as it could, you can't stop believing in it. You cannot stop believing in the happy ending, in the in the big finish, in the in the I am walking the right path and I'm not gonna get famous with it, I'm not gonna get rich with it, but there, there's a reason I'm doing it. And I might not even know the reason, but I found that my feet, I find that my feet are on this path and I am going to, I am going to walk it. I am going to walk this path. I'm going to do my card tricks and I'm going to sing my songs and I'm going to show love for people who are wanting to not be loved. Carefully. The other, <coughs> excuse me. The other thing that hit me very, very hard in this film um, was the redemption of Captain Von Trapp to his children. <coughs> Excuse me. I am still struggling with that. I, I am, um, I am still struggling with with trying to reconnect with my children. I, my oldest, and I have a better relationship, uh, in some ways, better than it ever has been. Uh, the others remain. Convinced and uh, and unwavering in their in their thoughts that I am just a bad guy, but this also gives me hope. This was a film that all of my children loved. I introduced them to it when they were young, and and you know on on television, and uh, and and they love it as well. So the the message of redemption and forgiveness is in there as well. So that gives me hope for that. I'm exhausted. That's all of those things are really the things I wanted to say, I guess. There may be more 
in the next podcast. I may think of some other things. I guarantee I will definitely come up with other things. But, but those points really hit home tonight. And it gave me renewed uh, vigor to keep pursuing what I am doing and do it with, uh, do it with faith, do it with courage in the higher power and also in my own power. You brought music back into my house. You brought music back into my house. I sent that to a friend. The reply I got back was, you put freedom back into my heart. And I'm very moved by that, that sentence, that statement. Very, very moved. Anyway, it's very late. I am very tired. It's been a very long day. Um, I was not emotionally ready for the sound of music. If I tell you that I wept almost nonstop for nearly three hours, I'm not exaggerating. I am uh, fortunate. Well, I wasn't alone either. I I, <laughs> I did hear during certain parts people getting weepy, and there were cheers, and there were there was applause, and uh, but I knew it moved a lot of people, and it sure as hell moved me. So I'm also dehydrated, and uh, so I'm going to drink a load of water. Um, I'm going to quietly read for a little while. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to say this before I forget it. I have it in my notes, but I keep meaning to say it and I keep forgetting it and this is a little bit of a soapbox thing take it or leave it it's your life I cannot tell you how to live it I can maybe guide you to things that have worked for me almost every day I see on the social media somebody asking hey what's a good show I just I just finished watching all five seasons of diagnosis murder whatever um what's a good show that I would enjoy that I could watch now and and I, every time I see that I want to say, why don't you get a library card and, and binge some books for a while? Get, get the video out of, your, out of your face. Look at some words on paper. Look at some black on white. And, you know, you, you can, you, it's so much easier to pick and choose your own. If you, if you have a certain set ideology and you, wanna, you want to learn more about that, there's millions of books written on that. If you want to explore other possibilities or expand your mind or learn a little bit about other cultures or learn, they're there too. It's good to get a good mix of things from an author, from someone who took the time to print stuff out. Yes, shows are awesome and I have favorite TV shows and I've discovered some great, great things and some great stories. I would still come back to books every single time because it, it allows my imagination, my own imagination, to exercise itself in a way that video simply does not do. So get a library card. Remember those? Support your local library. Go in and check out some books. Check out something you've you never thought about reading before and maybe, maybe discover something grand and glorious. Write your own words. Write your own worlds. Discover new places. And then, you know, share those ideas uh, with the people that you love. Work your mind a little harder is all I'm saying. I had a, I had a point following that, but now I don't know it. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, read 
<laughs> the final thing I want to say. I know I spent I just spent who knows how long talking about uh, the benefits of a movie of a, of a long form video uh, that I watched on you know a, a huge screen and immersed myself in an entirely other world. Yes, yes, I did it. I'm not taking away from any of those things. Love your movies too. Love your TV shows, but get to a quiet place. Pick a novel. Pick something that appeals to you. Work your own imagination. Work your own brain. Put your own video in your head and exercise your own creativity through reading the words of somebody else. Try that. I'll call it an assignment. (laughs) The assignment that you are no obligation uh, to perform or to do. I'm just asking you to give it a chance. Find a quiet place and lose yourself in your own head through someone else's words for a while. A care and in focusing on my art, my life has changed and become more defined and more real. Maybe that's selfish, but for right now, so be it. I'm going to be selfish. And that's my time. I'm uh, I'm going to shower clean myself so I don't feel uh, airplane icky anymore I'm going to think, I'm going to read and I'm going to fall asleep thank you for listening Um, you know the ways to support if you want to support this art Uh, I still need it, I need it desperately Um, the links to the Patreon are all over the place you can find them or send me an email more importantly, you know tell me what you think Ask me questions that I can answer on the air. Tell me if I'm if I'm fucking up. I gotta go. I really, sincerely, hope that there's love where you are. Sitting on the corner, staring down the street and wall. Making fun of faces at the people we don't meet Oh, whoa, whoa Holding out of pockets for all the world to see Oh, whoa Singing our old songs, busking you and me Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa It's funny how they always seem to want to get away from you Throw a little money and say, hey ma'am, now do just what you do. You sing a little anthem and answer, hey man, I am. Just a little more dough and I'll show you where I stand. That's the plan, ain't life grand. Breaking in the quarters, nickels and the dimes of wool. Breathing and dreaming and passing by the time of war, war. Thinking of the past and what we live for, then war. And where we're living now, our worries in the winter war, war, war. It's funny how she always seems to wanna get away from you. Cause you're honey in the jar, but when she's out, you're blue. Lord, it's true. You 
Put your axe up in the case and then you ease and make it his for the door. Then you bust it to the corner, get your busking all in order for the show. On the road, here we go. I play a whoa, whoa. Days turn into weeks, and weeks are into years. A whoa. We live for the fans and make the music in the ears. A whoa, whoa, whoa. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for tonight. Bye.